Do it. Say it. Welcome back to Let's Talk About God. There he is, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. Works. Welcome back. Let's talk about God. It just works. It does. That's our that's our call sign. Yeah. I kind of messed it up. Here, let's start over. Ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. Welcome back to Let's Talk About God. There you go. Smooth. That's it. Smooth. Got that radio voice. I'm ready. All right. What have you been doing? Just living life. Hanging out. I feel like it's been years since we recorded an episode, and it's only been a month. It's not been any longer than normal. It just feels longer. Like it's been longer. Do you think it's because of daylight savings time? The I think days part are of longer? it is because I was practically dead the last time we recorded. I was dead. Oh, that's right. You were like I was sick. Yeah, I, I had just recovered from the stomach bug, and I was not on this planet. That's when we talked about the Holy Spirit, yeah. the last two episodes. And I was just out of it. Yeah. But I'm back now. I'm cognizant. Well, I carried I carried the load. I tried to carry the load right. that day. You did great. Get you through it. So that We're worked back out. Here. Yeah. So yeah, but you're 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 raring and you're firing on all eight cylinders today, I'm ready right? Ready to go. Ready to go. Baseball starts today. That's right. Yeah, because as our listeners have already figured out, we we record this a month in advance. So it's yeah. actually April. And uh, baseball starts today. It's April Fool's. Oh, that's right. I should have made an April Fool's joke. It's too late at this point. It's, but it's too late. Anyways. That's so cool. That's okay. I've told people baseball is a boring sport, but I want to enjoy more things in this short life that we have to live. So I'm going to try and enjoy it. That's big for you because we drug you yeah. all over this country when your brother played travel ball and you had to sit through many, many games that in reality you wish you were somewhere else. I think that like has scarred me, but it also allows me to at least enjoy it because like I get it. Like I get scarred. I understand the game. It's just been traumatized, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to be home or in front of a video game system. That's true. I was out in the cold watching baseball. Watching baseball. Yeah. Uh, today was opening day of turkey season. Oh, yeah. And your old pops was in the woods, but no luck. Sad. No luck. I saw Sad a day. turkey, but it was when we were leaving <laughs> in the truck. But that's okay. I will, I'm persistent. It's a great time to fish, and I'm catching fish, which is, you know, what I do. Mm. I'm a fisher of fish and a fisher of men. <laughs> you like that, didn't you? I really like that a lot. I feel like you could... Probably sing about outdoor stuff well, all day long. It seems like I'm singing my own praises. So, <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> we have to segue somehow, don't we? So everybody's oh, going. Are they going to talk about praise and worship my today? Goodness, not it's... really. What are we going to talk about today? Today, <laughs> today we're going to talk about the Psalms. And we're going to begin by talking about the Psalms as Christian worship. And then hopefully we're going to segue into the Psalms as Christian lament. Now, these are going to actually transform into two episodes. Now, how that's going to, where we're going to hit the split at, I don't know. But hopefully that's what we're going to talk about the Psalms and the Psalms that, in their most basic form, we can break them down as Christian worship, but also Christian lament. Yeah, and this is one of those episodes. So we got we have our listeners who 
faithfully tune in, or maybe it's your first time, and you may be going, okay, the Psalms, y'all, y'all do this. Y'all pick these subjects, and initially we go, is this going to be good or mm-hmm. not? But if you've stuck with us, you learn that we take these subjects, and you we start out, and before we're done, you're like, man, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. I think the Psalms are there because they are such an important part, even though they're in the Old Testament. They have had unbelievable impact in the New Testament, mm-hmm. and they still do today. And I think that's key in the name. It's not just the Psalms as worship, or we didn't just title it the Psalms. We titled it the Psalms as Christian worship. That this is worship centered around Christ that we see in the Psalms. So there's going to be a very close Christian connection, if you will. Yeah, and I know we're going to get to this, but wasn't it Augustine who said that Christ was in every one of the Psalms? All 150 of them. All 150 of them. So, yeah, there is a uh, there is a theology of Christology Ooh. that uh, that says that he he's there. So if that's the case, if that's the case, then the Psalms ought to be very, very important to us. Absolutely. So I think if you hang in here with us, you're going to see that there's just so much today. Hopefully you're going to learn and appreciate more than ever before. Maybe the fact where maybe you don't read the Psalms, mm-hmm. uh, that you start going and reading the Psalms. Yeah, I, I think this is going. This is going to be more than just heady theology that you walk away and go, "Well, that was interesting." I hope this can impact your devotional and spiritual practice. I hope that this ep- these two episodes really shapes you formatively in how you approach your relationship with God. Well, in an everyday way. In a Bible reading plan, for example, yeah. here's, here's, we're going to come right out of the gate with a pragmatic, then we'll go into this. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, in a Bible reading plan, everybody has different reading plans. But I know for years I did this. I would read a chapter in the Old Testament, a chapter in the New Testament. I would read a psalm, and then I would read a proverb. Yeah. And there are 30 chapters in Proverbs. So you could go through a month with a chapter filled with wisdom Mm -hmm. and then with a psalm. And and of course, it will take you five months to get through all the psalms. But you you have praise. And then you talk about the Old Testament with its promises and revelation. And of course, then the New Testament, which is what we live under, that's a really good balance. But again, it's a way to incorporate that into your your Bible reading Mm -hmm. and benefit so greatly from it. Yeah. Well, let's get started with it. We always do a 30-second definition. I've got mine that I just literally swiped out of a Bible dictionary, but give me your, I think you had a personal one, right? A a three-second one? I have a three-second one. Go for it. So if if I'm going to define the Psalms, Mm -hmm. I would define it as the hymn book of the Bible. That's really good. How do you like that? That's good. If you're talking about the whole, yeah, the whole book of Right, we're talking about, because you said the Psalms. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about a psalm but we're talking about the Psalms. Mm-hmm. It is the hymn book of the Bible. And that's why when we were talking, we were making our segue about singing is that, uh, you know, some of this was probably maybe was poetry only, but I, I think my understanding has always been that traditionally the Psalms were songs. Am I not right? Yeah, I would say, I would say there, like, don't even, there's no even point to even break it up. It can be. It can be prayed. It can be chanted. It can be sung. But ultimately, I, it was written to, word be, to be corporate worship. Yeah, yeah, to be used in in some kind of, usually with musical. Yeah. And so that's why I called it the hymn book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the New Testament, the Bible talks about, in the New Testament now, that we are to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, yeah. singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know that the the early believers were Jewish 
okay? And eventually Gentiles started becoming saved. So the Psalms were very, very important to them, and they used it in their worship. That's right. And so that's why today we're talking about it's so important in worship. All right, so give us yours. That's my little three-second, the hymn, hymn book of the Bible Give us yours a little more thorough. I swiped it. This is not original from the Lexham Bible Dictionary. Thank you, Logos. The longest collection of biblical poetry in the Bible consists of prayers, hymns, laments, and songs covering a broad range of human experience and often used in worship in the Old Testament. It's very similar, just in a kind of a formal statement. Yeah. So let's let's we've we've defined the book of Psalms, if you will. Let's ask what is a psalm? What makes what makes up a psalm? So first, psalms are intentionally written poetic compositions. They're not spontaneous. So I think we need to keep that in mind. These are written out poems. These are thought through poems. We know it to be Christian scripture, so it's Holy Spirit inspired poems. So this isn't just uh, someone cried out in a scenario, kind of freaking out, and someone managed to write it down. These are well-crafted. We should view them as, as excellent literature. Two, the identities of I or we or they in the Psalms, they're intentionally open-ended. So the speaker's opponents in the Psalms, for instance, they're rarely identified. So let's co- compare and contrast with maybe like a song found in 2 Samuel chapter 1. So this is not in the Psalms. This is in Second Samuel. Well, David identifies the subjects of the song, their enemies, their location, the circumstances of the battle, all of those things. The Psalms are much more open-ended. We, it's just vague enemies are coming for me. They're attacking me. There's, there's general language because they're written for everyone as opposed to just only a certain person in a certain historical situation. Like we said, these are used for corporate worship. Most of the Psalms have a regular literary pattern because they're poetry. So for instance, they may have um, like an A-B-A-B type structure. And we don't mean like rhyming, but maybe subject matter. So I'm going to make something up. This isn't a Psalm, but maybe it's like, uh, Lord help me, A. My enemies are after me, B. And then the next, maybe the next line is, Lord be with me, A. They are coming for me, B. Or my hope is in you, B. They shall not prevail over me. Exactly. The A's are crying out to God, and B is uh, describing what the enemy is doing to you. There's a pattern to it because it's poetry. Um, So uh, it's good literature. It's good poetry. Um, And like we said, many of the Psalms contain liturgical or ritual allusions that they're supposed to be done in a corporate setting. So many of the Psalms begin with a call to worship to the congregation, such as hallelujah, which means you praise Yahweh. It's, it's a call for the people to praise God. Maybe there's a change of address from addressing God directly to addressing him in third person. So it becomes less of a personal conversation with God and it becomes a congregation declaring who God is. There may also be a change in the speaker, such as a question and answer format of the psalm. So the people are to be involved in that answer. And I know sometimes, like, <clears throat> you read the psalms and the, the, the author is talking, but then God will speak. That's right. And, That's right. And you'll have that. So, yeah, it's... That's good. Um Many psalms refer to the temple on Mount Zion and to ritual processions and sacrifices that accompany the performance of the song. So 
there's there's talk about going to Mount Zion or going uh, to the temple or you know one of the probably one of those popular ones is I was glad when they said unto me let us go to the house of the Lord. There's no reason for us to think that's a strictly sort of personal individual cry, but something you would sing as you head to the temple well, as you head to worship. And, and I would add also Jerusalem because yeah. the temple was in Jerusalem. So <clears throat> you take the psalm that says, "Lift up your heads, O your everlasting doors, and the King of Glory shall come in." Mm-hmm. Who is the King of Glory? He is the Lord Almighty. Lift up your heads. So that's talking about the gates of Jerusalem. Yeah, and. Uh, and so you're right. It's it's usually either Jerusalem or it's the temple. Yep. And the temple was in Jerusalem. Yeah. It, it, and is on Mount Zion. And it's so on it's, Mount Zion. It's all kind of a direct. Really, if you see Mount Zion or the temple or Jerusalem, it's talking about the place where God is located. You know where God's people are, and that's where He's located. You know in His temple. Um, there are many references to lyres and harps and other musical instruments, which imply musical performance. So lyres. What I don't is that what it's called. Did I say it wrong? Liars, liars, liars. Oh, come on. Pants on fires. <laughs> is it Lear? I don't know. I actually don't know what that L-Y-R-E-S. instrument is. L-Y-R-E-S. It could be. I think it's Lear. I'm sorry. I don't even know what that is. I know what a harp is. That's how a Southern person would say your mama's name. Lear. 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 Sister of, Lear. Instead of Leah. Lear. <laughs> anyway, it's like a small harp, wasn't it? I don't know. I really don't I know. I think it's a stringed instrument like a small harp, mm-hmm. I think. But... Anyway, now you get me curious. I know. You're going to have to Google that. I'm on it. While you're Googling it, I'll say this next part. The Psalms are, um, did you find it yet? I'm working. The Psalms are actually carefully crafted liturgies or set orders of worship uh, written for recurring typical human needs and for services of worship. So for instance, the Psalms are like an ancient prayer and hymn book. It's for the individual to pray. And it's a book for the church to worship. So they contain liturgies or worship services, such as hymns and songs of Zion that were performed at annual pilgrimage festivals like Passover, uh, the Feast of Weeks, and Tabernacles. So think about in the Christian calendar, we've got um, you know Advent where we wait on Christ. We've got Christmas where we celebrate uh, him here. We've got Easter, which is coming up uh, in our time for the resurrection of Christ. And so maybe you would have a special Easter service or special Easter songs. Well, the Psalms have that for the Jewish equivalent. They have uh, Psalms that would be sung and that kind of give an order to remembering and worshiping those festival in those festivals, rather. I've got and, an answer. Go for it. You are right. Was it l- it's Liar? It's Liar. Hey. Liar, and I have seen pictures of this before. Uh-huh. It's it's the U shaped. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. U, so yeah. we're going to describe to our, our listeners. Just think the U, kind of where it curls up on the end, it curls mm-hmm. out, and then there's a band that goes across the top of the U, yep. and then there are strings that come down from that band down to the bottom of the U, the curve. And it's a harp. It's a string instrument, like a U-shaped harp with strings fixed to a crossbar, used in ancient Greece. Uh, and they actually there are modern instruments that modern instruments of this type that are used today in East Africa. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So, so you learned something today. Yeah. Learned so something brand new. Yeah. 
You learn all the time here. Well, that's crazy. This show is educational, so it's as not, well as inspirational. <laughs> it's not only public worship, but you've got these prior private prayers. So the Book of Psalms contains royal psalms, or excuse me, we're <clears> going <throat> to continue on the worship theme. But for the king's coronation, prayer psalms for individual needs as they arise. Um, so they've been invoked invoked in local and private ceremonies, and even at the bedside of the sick. So it gives you words to pray. Uh, uh, Personally, it kind of reminds me of the the Book of Common Prayer for the Church of England. It's got worship services, but private prayers uh, and everything in between. Um, I think it would be wrong to view the Psalms merely as autobiographical um, that just express the feelings of the composers. The point, like we're trying to say, is these are meant to be used for everyone. So we don't want to just read them as these sort of historical documents that describe strictly what David was going through, and that's it, and nobody can relate to him. The point is that congregations and individuals can place themselves within these psalms and make these words their own. Yeah, but don't we do that today? Like Absolutely. With pop songs, with popular songs, you you listen to a song and it resonates with you because the author and the singer, whatever it was that they went through that made them write it, you take that song and you're like, man, I love that song. And you, you, you download it on your MP3 and you're, and you're playing it over and over mm-hmm. again. And you're like, man, that's just, that's right where I am right now. Whether it's a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or something about life, we already do that today with that's secular right. music. Yeah. Okay. And we also do it today with contemporary Christian music. Mm-hmm. There are certain songs that we like more. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm going to take a song that's, or it's older, and it was it was probably filmed more in the Southern God, but Through the Fire, yeah. Jason Crabb sang it. Okay, I mean, I could use a zillion examples, but I know a lot of people, that song ministered to them because they were going through a trial and a hard time, and they would just embrace that song and say, oh, that's me. He'll mm-hmm. take me through the fire again, you know, and uh, you're right. And it was born. It doesn't mean that it wasn't born out of the author's own struggle. Like I know the song, the real popular song, How He Loves. John Mark McMillan wrote that song because he had a like a best friend die. Yeah. And he was like bitter at God. And then he kind of had a breakthrough. So for John Mark McMillan, that song is born out of a real life story, a personal tragedy. And yet the church can take those words and still sing about God's love, though we haven't all had a personal friend die and been bitter. You know, it's you're right. It's the same thing we do today. Well, I'm not very good at this. We need to bring Billy Jump in here, our music pastor. But didn't the guy who write the old hymn "It Is Well with yeah, My Soul" like yeah. he lost his family? He sent them over to England, and the, the ship something sunk, happened with the ship. And they yeah. lost. He lost his family, his yeah. kids, his wife, and. And all these bad, and as he was crossing the Atlantic, he got to the point where the ship went down, and he wrote, "Isn't that right?" And he wrote the, "Isn't that what it was?" I, I can't remember I the think, exact story. And he story. wrote the words, "It is well with my, you know, with yeah. my soul." When when peace like a river attendeth me, when sorrows like sea billows roll, mm, makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. Whatever my lot, I've. Uh, Thou hast taught thou, me to you've say. You've taught me to say it is well with my soul. Yeah. yeah so. I guess that's what we're trying to say today is that's what we do it already with contemporary songs. Mm-hmm. You got, you got 150 songs on an MP3 called your Bible. That's right. Yeah. Right there. Right there that you can insert yourself into. Yeah. And these are inspired by Jesus. 
they're perfect. That's I wrote this down in our notes. I said the Psalms are perfect prayers because you're just giving God's words back to Him. There you go. I, I like mean, that. That's that's, that's right. Really, that's really good. Can't can't go wrong. Well, let's talk about the different types of worshipful worshipful songs because we're wanting to cover Psalms as worship before we get to Psalms as lament. What are the different types of worshipful songs? You're going to encounter all different types. One is individual praise. So it's using I and it's just saying I praise God. So for instance, Psalms uh, 9 verses 1 through 4 says, I will thank the Lord with all my heart. I will declare your wondrous works. I will rejoice and boast about you. I will sing about your name most high. It's a personal praise to God. I will bless the Lord at all times. His Mm -hmm. praise shall continually be in my mouth. Yep. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Psalm 100. Yeah. So those are, that's individuals. Okay. So perfect for personal prayer time. Two, you've got a general communal praise. So this is to be repeated in various worship settings. It's not based around a particular event necessarily. It's just a general worship of God meant for a congregation. Psalm 103, 6 through 8, the Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds for all of the, or, or for all the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. It's a general worship of God. He frees the oppressed. You're declaring who God is, his characteristics and all of these different things, but it's not like you have to sing that song only on Passover or only on this festival or whatever. It's, it's for all occasions. It's fitting. So clap your hands, all you people shout Mm -hmm. into God with the voice of triumph. Yeah. It's something, something like that. It's just for, for everybody. God. Yeah. Okay. Then we've got specific communal, communal praise, which has to do with relating around a uh, particular event. Um, so Psalm 124, 1 through 3, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been our side when people attacked us, then they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger against us. They're yeah. referencing, even though we may not know exactly what it is, they're referencing a time of attack. Um, there are specific Psalms that, that specifically rally around the Exodus narrative. There are multiple of those, of, of the wilderness, where they're recalling what God did for them, setting them free from the Egypt. The Babylonian exile, right? The Psalms even go that far. Even that far, that's correct. Yeah. So there's Psalms based around these occasions to remember and to celebrate and, and to look back on God's faithfulness in a specific area and then look towards his faithfulness in the future. Okay. Then there's praise for the God of nature. And I think this is great. Psalms 19, one through two says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse or the skies proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. These Psalms emphasize the sovereignty of God, that he's the one true God. There's no other God than him. So think about uh, ancient Near Eastern context. You've got all of these idolaters. You have all of these people and all of these nations who believe they have true gods to worship. And and the psalmist is writing these psalms to say, no, 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 no. There is only one God who is God Almighty, who's created the heavens and the earth, who's made everything, and he is the Lord of all. These psalms sing of the supremacy of the Lord above everyone and everything else. And, and there are psalms to go along with that. You're, you're making reference to the God of nature that they they talk about how nature in its own way worships God. So the, yeah. the Bible says the trees of the field clap their hands. So when the wind's blowing and the, the leaves are, mm-hmm. are rustling, the the writer said that's the, the, the nature's way of clapping their or hands even to here, the Lord. The, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Yeah. And and the, the stars and the, I know I've read several of the Psalms where they just talk about his mm-hmm. handiwork. So yeah, I can see that. 
Um, then we've got praise for God's kingship. And this is a really big theme, especially with uh, the Psalms traditionally being ascribed to David. And we know that there's some others that aren't you know, given to David, but a lot of them are. And so there's a lot of uh, kingship focus. Psalm 93.1 says, The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. These Psalms praise God as king, as the Lord over Israel and everything. And as we'll see in, for instance, Psalm 2, there is a reference to a yeah. specific king from David's line who we know to be Christ ultimately. But so we have a, the Lord's rulership and then there's a reference to a specific king, his anointed one as I, well. I turned there before I even knew you were going to go to Psalm 2, but that's exactly what I'm mm-hmm. looking at where it talks about, and it even has that passage that says, the Lord has said to me, you are my son today, I have begotten you. I have you. begotten you, yeah. Which obviously is a, a messianic Psalm. It's a yep. reference to Jesus. Yep. Yeah. That's good. Well, let's go through um, the Psalms now in their five books. You, you may uh, have picked up on this, or maybe you haven't in your Bible, but the Psalms are actually defi- divided into five different books. And in kind of a just a strictly Old Testament sense, we can make sense of their themes. And I think if we did our our work, go back and listen to our uh, our episode on biblical typology. I think if we did our work, we could translate this in, in, into New Testament language and how Christ has fulfilled it. So let's look at the five books. So there's 150 Psalms total. They're collected into five books. The books are marked off by original doxologies or like hymns of worship, of praise, consisting of priestly benedictions like blessed be the Lord and the congregation's response is amen. So these occur, the books break up after Psalms 41, 72, 89, and 106. And the authors change here as well. So let's start with the introduction. Psalms 1 and 2 are an introduction. Um, They basically show the theme of the righteous overcoming and being rewarded and the unrighteous being judged. It's setting up this contrast in the Psalms where God is for the righteous and the unrighteous will be judged. You can almost see that theme in, in nearly every single Psalm. So in Psalm 1, the righteous individual is pitted against the sinner. And in Psalm 2, like we just talked about, the wicked nations are pitted against God's ruler, his king, the Messiah. So I learned it King James. I like it. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law of God he... Something day he stays in day and night, and he should mm. be like a tree planted by the river of water. And then it goes on to say, "But not so the wicked." Yeah. So I'm not quoting the whole psalm, but I can remember because I I memorized most of it. But not so the wicked. So I'm seeing what you're talking about. Is it talks mm-hmm. about the righteous, then it talks about you know, it's comparing it, and then it talks about how God blesses the righteous, but not so the wicked. Not the wicked, for, for they're like the chaff that blows away. Yep. So yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And and then we see that again with uh, Psalm two about the Messiah. And if we just want to do a little foreshadowing, you know, real quick, it's clear that uh, God blesses the righteous, but the wicked are going to be judged. And this is most clearly seen uh, with our Messiah, that the evil ones were against him, but the, our king is overcome as we're going to celebrate this Sunday and the resurrection. And, uh, yeah, and he will judge the unrighteous. Because this is uh, this is Monday, Thursday. That's right. According to the the Christian calendar, tomorrow's Good Friday when we're, we're recording today on Thursday, and this Sunday's Easter Sunday for us. So yeah. even though you're listening to this in May. Yeah. But uh, yeah, why do the heathen, why do the nations rage and the heathen plot in vain? Plot in vain? Yeah, that's that Psalm 2. And 
God laughs at them in derision. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the Lord looks down and laughs at them. Like, really? Like, come on, come on. <laughs> yeah, you think you, you think you can take me on? <laughs> so then we see books one and two. So Psalms one through seventy-two. So Psalm two actually introduces the subject of these psalms, who's the king. So beginning with Psalm three, we hear the king's prayers. Uh, in Psalm seventy-two, we see petitions for the king's son. So the covenant that God makes with David in Psalm two and whose promises David rested secure, like we see in Psalm 41, is even passed on to his descendants. So I'm going to interject some things here, because I did some research to prepare today. So if we can just stop, go, stop, go. So the majority of books uh, of book one, which actually goes through um, 41, Mm -hmm. was written by King David. Yeah. So that's why you'll see a Psalm of David. Matter of fact, it's only one, two... 10 and 33 are not written by David. Mm -hmm. But then Psalms 42 through 72, which is the rest of, which would be book two, Mm -hmm. uh, is the sons of Korah, Asaph, David, Solomon, and then just anonymous writers. Yeah. But you're right. David is kind of the 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 dominant author in books one and two. So that idea of the king and and the king's son, the king's prayer should be there because he was the king of Israel Mm -hmm. and he was a Psalm writer and a musician, and makes sense. And so God has made this promise to David that you're going to, essentially, you're going to rule, and you're always going to have a king on your throne that overlaps with what we see in Second Samuel 7. Um, and basically, these Psalms are carrying on that the promise he made to David, it carries on down his line. You're always going to have a, a king on the throne. So what you're doing here, I'm seeing in our notes, is you're saying we're introduced to the king, mm-hmm. i.e. David, and these and the king's son, which maybe that's David. God's the king, and the king's son is David, who is a type of Jesus. Or son. even you could say David passed on to Solomon and the rest of his sons, whichever you want to take I guess. first. And now I'm looking at your notes. So then the third book, which is Psalms 73 through 89, there's been a breakdown. There's a breakdown, and we can see this even in the own biblical story. David's own line begins to break down and become more sinful and more sinful and more sinful. And uh, and in the history of Israel, what do they do? They get exiled to Babylon. They don't even have a true king, if you will, on the throne. These Psalms begin to reflect that. And so this Davidic covenant that there's going to be a king always on the throne, it's in the past. It's fractured. Um, I didn't get his first name, but Wilson says, this is his quote, the Davidic covenant introduced in Psalm 2 has come to nothing. And the combination of the three books concludes with the anguished cry of the Davidic descendants. But there is this lament, there is this sadness, this promise has not been fulfilled. The people are in exile, there's frustration here. And then in book four... Well, Saul- all right, so let me interject yeah. here. Can I, so I looked at the writers here. So David only, David doesn't hardly write any, matter of fact, he may write one psalm in that whole section. Mm-hmm. You've got the sons of Korah, you've got Heman the Ezraite, and Ethan the Ezraite. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they were brothers. But the bulk of them... 73 to 83 was written by Asaph, who was David's choir leader. Wow. Unless he was a different Asaph, which could be very possible. And and at the end of the day, the spirit is the author. So even if even if they're writing at the same time David is alive, I think prophetically or spiritually this can match up. They're predicting. So, yeah. so then that takes us to the fourth book, which is Psalms 90 through 106. Yep. So what's happening there? So then now that they're without this king, they're without this heritage, everything is going down, 
they look back to God. They look back to Yahweh as their true king. This is where they look back to Moses, who's mentioned seven times. Moses's song, which we see in the book of Exodus, is actually uh, begins this book. So Israel looks to God as their eternal king, that though that there is no human king or human representative on the throne, God becomes their king. And this is where they recall the Exodus narrative again and again and again. Psalm 90. Yeah. The the Psalm of Moses. The one psalm that's in there that's actually called the Psalm of Moses. That's right. Gotcha. Okay. So there's this renewal of trust so, in Yahweh. So we're looking at, you're showing me, because I don't know if I've ever seen this. I, mean, I haven't either. All this credit is, to Bruce Walton. This is really cool that we're, we're seeing, there's actually a storyline story that otherwise you would never even see. I don't yeah. know if I've ever seen it, but it's, hopefully this is helping you today. You're actually seeing there's a storyline through the compilation of 150 different songs. Yeah. That is fascinating. Really neat. So then book five, because it's Moses, David, Solomon, and anonymous writers are your authors. Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting. So so what happens in book five? How does the story end? So book four, Psalm 106, 47, concludes book four with this petition. Save us, I am our God, and gather us from the nations. And book five begins with praise to I am for answering their prayer. He gathered us from the lands. The troubles of the exile have finally been overcome. So, are there psalms that are actually that actually were written post-exilic? Yes, there are psalms. I I wish I could remember it, and I'm sure it's in this one. But there's one that specifically it, the, the Babylonians are are like chiding the Israelites. We hung our harps on the willow trees by the river. They're saying and that, said, "Play us a song, song of Zion." Of Zion, yeah. and they said, "We won't." Cause yeah. We're we're depressed and sad and we have no joy. That's right. So yeah, that's an that's a that's a captivity song. That's right. Okay, and then there are actually songs that says we have returned and we've come back. Yeah. So you know, I, I see. I think that what we're trying to help people today is it's really easy to say. Oh, every one every psalm was written by David. Eh, wrong. Two. That means that every psalm must be about the time period of David. Eh, that's mm-hmm. wrong. I think we're learning two really important things right there. Yeah. That it covers the span of the rule of David all the way up through the, the exile, the return after the exile, post-exile, when they come back, it even reaches back to the time. Mm-hmm. Historically, it looks back to the time all the way back to the Exodus. And I would say, in if we want to, if you will, if we want to view it, typologically or in a Christian manner, is this not is this not really the story of Christ, if you will? Don't we have this glorious king who gets buried in a tomb and it looks like he's gone and it looks like all host, hope is lost. He's but exiled. We, but we turn that's right. By and, death. We, and we turn to Yahweh our God who we know is our deliverer and he rises up again and he brings us back into his presence. Yeah. Are we not exiled by our own sin from the presence of God, but brought back by Yahweh? I mean, this story, the story of Israel is our story right. in a truer and fuller way. Absolutely. So I think the Psalms are just so important that way. So I think that I've never learned that no. before. All credit to Bruce Walkie. Okay. I mean, it's that was pretty good. Genius. So you see, y'all, you guys are listening to stuff that you never, <laughs> yeah, you never, never, never heard in your life. Uh, so those are your five books right there. There's kind of a storyline. So we've hinted at it. We've talked about it. I just talked about it there. Let's talk about the messianic nature of the Psalms, or that the Psalms are about the Messiah, about Christ, and let's about even, Jesus. About Jesus. There are Psalms that that 
even though whatever the theme is, you're going to find Jesus in it. That's some right. are more blatant. And some are not. Some are more subtle. But if you look, you can see it, which means that they are prophetic mm-hmm. in the foretelling sense. They prof- they predict or prophesy Christ. things about Christ that happened hundreds of years. That's right. So that's why these songs are not, when I know you said at the beginning, they're not spontaneous. They're inspired. Mm-hmm. That that's cool. So, well, people today say, "Well, I was inspired to write this secular song." You know, whatever. I probably every writer is going to say that. Yeah. But it's not like the inspiration of Shakespeare or Milton. It's it's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It's revelation, illumination, and direction of the Holy Spirit to write this down. And I think you make a good point there. That maybe this is your natural inclination if you're listening to just go. Well, there's no way it could mean that. There's just no way. David is writing in his time. He's being chased by King Saul. It's a historical song. Maybe we can find some good principles and values in it, but there's no way. It's totally descriptive. Look, look. there there are many authors of the Bible, and there's one author of the Bible. Right. It's the Holy Spirit, and he can do what he wants. And yep. God is Lord over history, and he can make history happen. How he wants, or he knows it's going to happen. Christ. Yeah, I mean, he's God. So you know, I I would encourage you, uh, kneel humbly down <laughs> at the feet of the Lord, who can do what he wants and work these things the way that he wants. And so I want us to look at the messianic nature of the Psalms, and then let's look at the history of Christian interpretation, which is just more of the messianic nature of the Psalms. Okay. We want to show you the Psalms are Christian. Um, so Jesus, let's skip to the New Testament. Jesus is clearly revealed as the Messiah. He's the king. He's the king from David's line. He's the king that the Psalms often speak about. God promises, King David, you will have a king on your throne forever. Jesus is that king. Luke twenty four forty four hints, or not even hints, clearly tells us that Jesus is in the Psalms. Jesus says this, everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Christ himself tells us the law and the prophets is shorthand language for the entire Old Testament. And Jesus includes the Psalms. Jesus tells us I'm everywhere in the Old Testament. Go find me. And he says, everything that's written about me there must be fulfilled. All right. So I know you have notes, but I think I have something that maybe can be more comprehensive. Go for it. So here's what I've got in my study Bible. This is great for today. It's the Christ of the Psalms. All right. So I'll just, I'm going to pop it. Ready? Zing it off. All right. So obviously I don't have the scripture mm-hmm. out before me. Psalm 2-7 He's called the Son of God, mm-hmm. fulfilled in Matthew 3.17. Psalm 8.2, he's praised by children. That's fulfilled in Matthew 21.15.16 when the children were worshiping him mm-hmm. in the triumphal entry. Psalm 8.6, he's called the ruler of all. It's fulfilled in Hebrews 2.8. Psalm 16.10, he rises from the dead. Well, obviously, that's yeah, in the gospel. Ma- hard, yeah. well, Matthew 28.7. Psalm 22, 1, he feels forsaken by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's in the Psalms. Yeah. Well, Jesus said that when he hung on the cross, Matthew 27, 46. Psalm 22, 7 and 8, he's derided by his enemies. Well, that happened. Yeah. You know, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the two thieves on the cross, the Roman soldiers, Luke 23, 35 is one place. 22, 16 prophesies in the Psalm that his hands and his feet are pierced. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that that happened to him when he hung on the cross. 
All right. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Lots cast for his clothes. Well, the gospels tell us that that happened. That's Matthew 27, 35, 36. His Psalm 34, 27 says, not one of his bones will be broken. See, the Passover lamb, you could not have broken bones. Yeah. Well, Jesus' legs weren't broken because he died. You died on the cross from asphyxiation. You suffocated to death because the weight of your body. That's why they broke the legs of the two other thieves that died with Jesus. To so speed they, it up. Well, because yeah. they, they, you would have to push up off the nail in your feet to try to get your lungs open to breathe. Well, once they broke their legs, they can't push up anymore. The weight of their body just pulls down, closes their lungs up, and you suffocated to death. Isn't that horrible? That's terrible. But they did never, you notice the Bible says they never broke Jesus' legs. They mm-hmm. did stick a spear to his side, though. Okay, well, we know that John 19, 32, 33, 36 tells us this. Psalm 35, 11 says he's accused by false witnesses. That happened. Sanhedrin, Mark 14, 57. Psalm 35, 19, he was hated without cause. Mm-hmm. John 15, 25 says, that, you know, the reason they did is because they envied him, uh, the, the Pharisees. Psalm 47 and 8, delights in God's will. Well, Hebrews 10, 7, here am I, I have come to do your will, O God. Yeah. There's that, so that, that's Jesus. Psalm 41, 9, betrayed by a friend. Well, we know who that cat was, Judas. Judas. Luke twenty two forty seven. 47. Psalm 45, 6, he's called the eternal king. Hebrews 1, 8 says, God didn't call an angel, but he called an eternal king to, to die for us. Psalm 68, 18, he ascends to heaven. Mm. Well, Acts 1, 9, 11, the disciples watched him ascend back to heaven, his ascension. Psalm 69, 9, he's zealous for God's house. Zeal for your house has consumed me. Yep. John 2, 17, when he was driving the money changers and the cattle and all out of the temple. Psalm 69, 21, this is so, so specific, mm. given vinegar and gall to drink. Yeah, it is. Well, the Bible says that's what the Roman soldiers tried to give him to drink when he was on the cross, Matthew 27, 34. Psalm 109, verse 4 says he prays for his enemies. Well, that mm. happened on the cross, Luke 23, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, Psalm 109, verse 8, his betrayer is replaced. That happened in Acts 120 when mm. Matthias was elected uh, or chosen by Lot. Um, Psalm one ten one, he rules over his enemies. Matthew twenty two four says that's fulfilled. Psalm one ten verse four says he's a priest forever. Hebrews five six says he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm one eighteen twenty two says twenty eight one eighteen verse twenty two says that Jesus is the chief stone of God's building. Matthew twenty one forty two calls him mm-hmm. the, the cornerstone. And then Psalm one eighteen twenty six says that he comes in the name of the Lord. And Matthew twenty one nine says that Jesus comes in the name of the Lord. Wow. So those are all Psalms. I, I know it's a lot, but those are that's those are the messianic Psalms. And I want to point rapid, out too, rapid fire. Much of what you said is quoted in the New Testament. I saw two different figures, but I, this could be wrong. I saw two different figures. Something like forty percent of the Old Testament quotes in the either in the Gospels or the New Testament are Psalms. Yes, that's correct. The Psalms are often, 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 often quoted and interpreted by the New Testament authors. These are not just illusions or guesses. The I, you go look, go read your New Testament, and they will directly quote the Psalms. Yeah, so that's why we wanted you to sit, know today that the Psalms are really, really important because they're not just in the Old Testament. They're everywhere in the New Testament, and they really do, a lot of them, point to Jesus Christ. That's right. I mean, just think about it. It is amazing, especially Psalm 22. You know, Psalm, Psalm 22, uh, 23, and 24 are messianic mm-hmm. psalms, and I love them because um, 
Psalm 22 talks about the, and I want to cover that at the end. I've got that. The so end you got that. All right. Well, then we'll get to that yeah, later. Yeah. But I mean, they, that's really, a good one to wrap up with right. when we've hit everything. B- because they're just, it's all about Jesus. That's right. And it is a synopsis of the life of Jesus. That's right. And the ministry of Jesus. So that ought to make you say today, okay, I need to kind of go back and reexamine these Psalms. Yep. I mean, you're totally right. I, I think of the one, Psalm 2, 1 through 2, out of the nations and the rage and the people plot in vain. The king of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire against the Lord as anointed one. Directly quoted in Acts 4, 25 through 28. I, I just want you to know, listeners, go read the Gospels. Go read the New Testament. The authors of the New Testament consistently, and, and the people in the New Testament, consistently see the Psalms as messianic as prophetic, as referring to Christ. And now as we look at the real quickly at the history of interpretation in the church, what they believed they were doing was interpreting the Psalms as the New Testament interpreted the Psalms. They weren't trying to be cute or fancy. They looked at Paul. They looked at Peter. They looked at, at the gospel writers and thought, they're doing this, we can do this too. And so we see that they're very much about Christ and We'll just go real quickly and just see how other people viewed these these psalms. So um, we'll start with um, uh, with Clement of Alexandria. He lived 150 to 215. He uh, instructed people to sing the psalms and not use pagan instruments. Um, the Didascalia, written by a Jewish Christian bishop in North Syria, stated, if you yearn for songs, you have the psalms. So early on, Christians, like you said, saw the psalms as a Christian songbook. They used it in their worship. It was something to sing and to praise God with. It was distinctly Christian in their eyes. Justin Martyr, one of the great apologists, argued with Rabbi Trifo. He quote, I, I quote him saying this, your, script, your scriptures are rather not yours, but ours, for we are left persuaded by them while you read them without comprehending the spirit that is in them. Justin Martyr claims the Psalms not as Jewish scriptures, but our scriptures. Because he says, you don't know how to read them correctly. You don't know the spirit that's in them. We can see them for who they're really about and what they're really for. Origen, who lived from 185 to 254, he emphasized a spiritual interpretation of the Psalms. He notes that it's not divorced from the literal meaning but it's deeper than the literal. And he argued with his opponent, Celsus, that, the, that only the person in Christ can interpret the obscure passages correctly. So he wanted them to realize the people who can see Christ in the Psalms are those who have Christ's spirit, his, his anointing, his, the, the Lord revealing these truths to him. These are Christian scriptures. So I think I'm pronouncing this guy's name right. Hilary of Poitiers, mm-hmm. I think that's right. 320 through uh, 368, um, the earliest court of bishop in Poitiers in Gaul. He does a good job of identifying the various authors and historical situations and all of that, but he doesn't stop there. He knows that there is a Christian interpretation. And in fact, the Arians who denied Christ's divinity, he, he used the Psalms to defend Christ's divinity. Ambrose of Milan follows Origen in his type of uh, interpretation. He even created Ambrosian chant, where he uh, introduced that the Psalms would be chanted antiphonally, which means you would go back and forth. So this is a way of worship in the church, where the church would uh, say one line and the priest would say one line, and you would kind of go go I, back and forth. I thought that was the... Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. <laughs> Bless his holy name. It could be that. Or is that Gregorian? That may be Gregorian. Um, that was pretty good, though, wasn't that it? That was pretty good. 
So I, we're, I, we're going on and on and on. My point is that most of the people saw it as Christ. Gregory of Nyssa saw it as something that, uh, you know, the ascent of your soul to God, John Chrysostom, uh, he was very pastoral. He saw the Psalms as a pastoral work, something to preach and teach on that teaches us Christ. Let's get to Augustine. Augustine is the main guy here. You like Augustine, don't you? John Chrysostom's my favorite, is but he, I do like favorite? Augustine. Okay. I love I, John Chrysostom. Okay, John Chrysostom. Dude, gold, I just the, love saying his name. The golden mouth preacher. That's what Chrysostom means. Is that what it means? Golden mouth. Golden he was such mouth. a good preacher. Are you uh, serious? That's what Chrysostom means? Golden mouth. Golden mouth. He was given that after his death, but uh, basically behind Augustine, Chrysostom has the, the most remaining works. Cool. Because they're so highly regarded. Uh, love that guy. Anyways. I just still have a hard time not saying Augustine. Well, Augustine, 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 whatever you want to it's say. It's Augustine. But... It's whatever. Um, Augustine covered the entire Psalter in his homilies, in his sermons. What's a Psalter? The, the book of Psalms. It's just another way of saying another it. Another way of saying it, yeah, the Psalter. You know, a Psalter would be a salt shaker. <laughs> or, or a Psalter who assaults you. A Psalter would be a person using the salt shaker. <laughs> He's salting. He's Hi, assaulting you. I'm a Psalter. I'm just, I'm just, when we do this, we've done this now for how many, for years, years we haven't done it for most, years is that I'm always thinking about what the other person in this, listening in their, in their earbuds Sorry. or in their, in their truck or car is, we say these things and they go like, what was, what, a Psalter? The Psalter is just the book of Psalms. It's just another way of saying it. Okay, so go ahead. So Augustine, as well as the rest of the fathers, this is where it gets interesting. He was influenced by Platonic philosophy. Which Plato. Is the, which is Plato. And, Not uh, Play-Doh, but play with your kids with use the clay, but Plato. 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 So in this philosophy, there's a sign or the signum in Latin that points to and uniquely participates in the res or the actual thing. So can like if we want to get off in a tangent, so the cat would be a sign. Plato believed there is an eternal knowledge, even of God, of the feline. <laughs> That's yeah, your analogy. How deep is that? I'm serious. I'm not joking. That's, he uses that. That's what he uses. You're not making this up. I'm not up. making this up. So there, that there is an eternal understanding or or, or, or or real thing or reality that the cat participates in. So there can be a hundred different breeds of cats, but there's an eternal idea of... The feline. The feline. So... My point is this. Yeah, uh, bring us, bring, we're way down the let, deep let, end of the my pool point, let's, now. let's bring it back to this. Let's bring it back to this. Let's bring it back to this. That's good, but I'm just saying, help me here. Throw me a life preserver. Augustine, who is a Christian, interprets this Christianly, that we know that there's not this sort of random eternal God or whatever that we don't know. There is a real triune God that we know, and that the scriptures, the Psalms, who give us King David are a sign, something lower. The cat. That point, the cat, that point to the eternal highest reality, which would be Christ. We've got the King David, we'll say lowercase k, who participates and points to the eternal capital K, King. King Jesus. Gotcha. I got it. So, so that's the whole cat feline thing. Yeah, I got that's kind of where I'm getting there. The, right. the, the scriptures which present a sort of physical, lower, earthly material are giving you a picture 
of the eternal truth of the eternal, eternal God. supernatural, spiritual, transcendent. Of God. Yeah, the, the human right. to the divine. That's correct. That's just right. pointing to it. Not, that's right. Nothing else and just being used as a sign to point you, oh, that's why you can see Jesus in them. Yeah, in, them. in these scriptures. And and his idea is that Christ is already present there because, like we said, the Spirit is writing. It's not happenstance. The Spirit is writing these scriptures. So I love this thing you have in the notes about the totus Christi. The totus, yeah, the totus Christi. So as we move on, basically, Augustine sees the Psalms, which are primarily about God, about his king, about King David. And King David points to Christ that every Psalm, 150 of them, all of them in some way point to Christ. But here's the thing. They're about the totus Christi. So one, which is Latin for the totality of Christ, the totality or all of, Christ, of Christ, all of Christ. So the Psalms could either there's six options be spoken by Christ. So Christ is the one speaking through the Spirit, be spoken to Christ, or be spoken about Christ. But then Augustine goes on. He says we've got to think of all of Christ because Christ is the head of His own body called. The church. The church. Which is where we get the totus Christi or the totality of Christ. We are now incorporated into Christ as his body, which means the Psalms also can be spoken by, to, or about his church. So when we read the Psalms, we not only see Christ, but we see this New Testament reality of ourselves. And we get to step into the Psalms and pray them as the church. That's really, really interesting. And this impacted throughout the Middle Ages, right? This became the standard. This became the standard. Okay. This became the standard. Until who came along? So then we see, and it really remains the standard, and we just kind of see maybe a little bit of a step back. Martin Luther kicks off the Protestant Reformation. He's an Augustinian monk before he really kicked off the Reformation. He loves Augustine. He basically follows in his footsteps. Then you've got John Calvin, a little bit uh, after Martin Luther. Uh, he takes a little bit of a historical take. Not that he doesn't see Christ in the Psalms. He certainly does. He's just a little bit more reserved, where Augustine certainly sees Christ in his church in all 150. Uh, and do we believe that, or, or, or do you believe that, or uh, is Augustine stretching it a little bit? To be honest with you, I, I think because he opens us up to Christ and his church, it's much more plausible I think the scriptures are for Christians, so you got to make that jump some way, but, somehow. But he was his his uh, style of interpretation was help me here. I'm not thinking about it. Is what I don't alle- like, allegorical. Yeah, but I don't like that as a pejorative. But yes, yeah, but he was very allegorical, so he could see Jesus in everything. Well, that that the whole the fathers in general saw Jesus in everything in the Old Testament. That it all pointed to him anyways. And if it doesn't, what's the point? <laughs> gotcha. Okay. I mean, there are people that, there are guys that teach preachers like in seminary that when you preach, you should preach Jesus. I mean, the cross they, should be somehow be in every message. The, the walls of Jericho, somehow. Daniel in the lion's den, David and Goliath, they said you, you, you should be able to find Jesus. So maybe, maybe that concept still does prevail I, today. You know, like I don't think it's a bad t- I, when we had Doctor Stamps on. I don't remember who he quoted, but he said, "I'd rather find Jesus where he's not than miss him where he is." Okay, so I preached recently 
And again, the reason I asked why is because I don't want our listeners just sitting there going, just oh, okay, let's challenge this a little bit. But I'm not, time, I'm not walking away going, you're not a Christian if you don't believe all 150 Psalms directly no. about I think it's worth exploring, right. certainly. It's something to think about when you read it. You know, is Jesus here? Can I see? But I mean, I just preached, what, a couple, three weeks ago on Jacob's Ladder. Mm-hmm. And I, I've preached on it. I had my notes from preaching 30 something years I had preached on it like four other times and you can really preach about the church because at Jacob's ladder was Bethel mm-hmm. Bethel's the house of God so you can preach about the church it's Certainly. there's a lot of com- spirituality that anyway I preached Jesus that the, the the ladder or the stairway was a connection point between heaven and earth between a sinful Jacob and a holy God mm-hmm. and who, who is the one that connects heaven and earth is Jesus that he came to this earth to reach sinful man, and he said, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gateway to heaven. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gateway to God. No man That's comes right. to the Father but through me. That's he right. was the word that became flesh and tabernacled among us. He was the house of God. His body was the house of God when he you walked in the earth. angels ascending, ascending and descending, descending on, on the, the Son, Son of Man. Man. And I'm like, and I preached, I preached about He's Jesus. right there. I preached to Jesus in a, in a, in a salvation message on Jacob's ladder. I never done that before. Honestly, think you're spot on there. I think if you don't see Christ in the Old Testament, you you run the risk of discarding it as lesser. And I don't think we can do that. And Jesus makes it clear. We read that Luke twenty four forty four passage. Think about Jesus on the road to Emmaus. He walks seven miles with those guys, and it says he opened up the law and the prophets and revealed himself, which is shorthand for the entire Old Testament. Yep. Christ and his and and the apostles thought he was there. But he said, "I didn't come to destroy the law; I came to I came fulfill to it." Fulfill so it. it means that it's about him. Go if he fulfills it, it means he's the great. Listen, he. There's the signum in the Old Testament. He's the res or the reality. He's the real thing. Okay. You keep throwing this Latin at us. <laughs> he's the, there's the e, sign. There's e the sign and unum. he's the reality. I'm going to throw a little e pluribus unum your way, buddy. I mean, this like I said, I would rather you see Christ where he isn't than missing where he is. And, and we see this everywhere. Go listen to our typology episode, the entire Passover. Christ does this with the Passover. It's Maundy Thursday. This is when I said Thursday. I'm from Andrew, South Carolina. Andrew, South Carolina, Thursday. 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 Um, think about the Lord's Supper. What does he do? He fulfills the Passover. He took an Old Testament Jewish feast, the Passover. And brings the real thing. And turns it into the Lord's Supper, which is a Christian ordinance. Certainly. So I, we have an episode on I'll that, I'll step out here. You tell me if you think I'm crazy. This is what the fathers Oh, believe. you're crazy, bud. I you're mean, crazy. Even we, think about, you know, the story of the waters of the, how do you say it? The waters of Marah? Yeah. Okay. You've got, they leave Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They need God to help them. The waters which should sustain them are bitter. Right. And how do they become unbitter? They throw a tree in there. And the tree represents the cross. Come on now. And, yeah, which and the then where do they sins. move on? They move on to 12 springs yep, with, with 70, 12 apostles and 70, 70 date palm, palms. Which is the elders. The 70, or disciples. 70 disciples. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm crazy in seeing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, how they, it just matches up too easily. I'm with you. I mean, the Proto Evangelium, which we've talked about in Genesis 3. Is the Adam and Eve sin? Christ and, is there, and God says the woman, the, the, the seed of the woman, shall crush the crush the head of Satan. The who's, snake. who's the seed of Abraham? It's it's Christ. This is what uh, John the Baptist's dad. His name is 
uh, blanking out on me. He prays about this. The the Lord has visited Zechariah. us. Yeah, Zechariah. And he talks about the Lord has visited us to redeem his people. And uh, uh, he's come to fulfill his promise uh, given to our forefather Abraham to defeat our enemies and allow us to worship and rest in peace. Like, the Melchizedek comes out with bread and wine. I don't, like, which he's is Christ the, is everywhere. I mean, he's everywhere. Yeah, he's all through. You're right. He's through all through the Old Testament, and he is in those 150 Psalms. He I mean, fulfills it's, the it's, Levitical laws. Yeah, the priesthood. Every, the every lamb that was sacrificed all was a type pointing to Christ, the Lamb who was slain, he's the Lamb in, of God who takes away the sin of the world by every prophet. Yeah, I don't know. I I think I think, I think we're we're on to something. I think we're on to something, folks. <laughs> Come on and jump on with us. <laughs> so I, I guess we say we say all this to say that look. There's something here in the Psalms. I know we've been deep. Maybe we hit you with some philosophy that you just kind of, you had to pause it. After we've done all that, after we've done all that, let's just pause. Let's put the pastor hat on. What does this mean? What does this mean for you and I? If we think the Psalms are worship songs, that we insert ourselves into them, they're meant for people, and they point to Christ what do we do for Christian worship? Well, I think it's, I love praying the word, first of all. So I would say, because the Psalms, we, we can identify so easily and readily mm-hmm. with the Psalms, most of them, uh, that I would say, pray the Psalms. Absolutely. And so I would say, do that. I would, second of all, incorporate the Psalms into my worship. Worship is when you... You know, I've said for years that praise is celebratory and worship is somewhat more dedicatory. But in the celebration of who he, of what God has done, oftentimes in praise, the reflection on who God is in worship, the Psalms are filled or are replete with praise and with worship, what he has done mm-hmm. and who he is. I, you know, people say, I don't know how to praise. I don't know how to worship. You, you know, you, you, I get in church in my prayer time. I don't know. Well, you got a you got 150 examples. Yeah. 150 chapters that can help you say bless the Lord O my soul and all that is within me I bless your holy name. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Mm-hmm. You know, uh I will sing into the Lord a new song. I mean, you just you go through the make a joyful noise of the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness all you lands. Come into this presence with thanksgiving. Be thankful yeah. to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His faithfulness endures all generations. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. As you read the Psalms, you can actually take those things and they will help you become a better praiser and worshiper. That's really good. I would say too, where you focus on that praise and worship, use the Psalms as prayer. Use it as your your prayer book, meaning that we're going to talk about this a little bit deeper in the next episode, but the Psalms cover the range of human emotion. Are mm-hmm. you struggling? Are you like upset right now? Get in there and pray. It's it's in there. Have you sinned? There are a number of penitential Psalms. Turn to Psalm 6 and confess your sins before God using God's own words. Like you said, do you need to take time to worship the Lord? Turn there. Do you do you want to celebrate Christ and his victory for you? Turn to Psalm 2. It's all right there. And in And I think times even in frustration where you go, I don't know if I have the words to say. That's all right. God's got them for you. Yeah, right there in the Psalms. He's got them for you. That's good. And uh, and so I would encourage you to do that. Like you said, uh, use them regularly. Open them up. There, um, it it would just take a quick Google search to to find a plan to read the Psalter through every month. 
it's just a few psalms uh, every day. Um, you know, if, even if you want to break it up into morning and evening, well, it'd be or five. Yeah, five times three is one hundred fifty. A thirty, it'll be five times thirty is one hundred thirty days in a month. You could read the psalm through and yep, five a day. That's right, and and cover it, and you'll never. They will never get old. <laughs> and I'll tell you what else, too. In church, um, and again, you know, if you're just, if you're a member, you don't have a lot of control there, but maybe if there's some worship pastors listening right now, whatever, incorporate the songs that have been, you know, there are a lot of songs that have been written today that are contemporary, but they're based on the Psalms. Yeah. And uh, sing those because mm-hmm. you're singing the word. That's good. And, you know, if you could find those or in your own personal time when you're listening, find songs that have been written that are based on the Psalms mm-hmm. and use that in your worship time, play that, and you listen to it. I think there are a lot of ways. Um, and I would just say make sure you incorporate the word in your the Psalms in your, in your daily Bible reading. Mm-hmm. I, I think you'll find that unbelievably beneficial because, again, you can find yourself in the Psalms just because we're human and we go through human experiences, and so were the writers, but then God's there. Yeah. And I think you'll find these unbelievable strength and wisdom and and comfort and edification j- just by reading the Psalms consistently. And, and I would encourage you, uh, kind of like we wrapped up just a minute ago, is, is uh, do your best to look for Christ. Don't stress yourself out about it. I don't feel like you have to break them open and have a study session, but just look for the Lord. No, we never did. You said we were going to, and we kind of skipped. I'm it. sorry. No, it's okay. Psalm 22. We we need to just finish because our listeners may be going, "Hey, you you left us hanging." Can I do something? Yes. Tell me if this is too much. No. Nope. Do you care if I read the whole thing? No. No. It's long. It's long. It's up to you. But do you care if I read the whole thing? That's whatever you want to do. All right, listener. I'm going to read all of Psalm 22. It's a little bit longer. I want to encourage you, if you're not driving, just close your eyes or pull up Psalm 22 in your phone. I use the CSB translation. Um, pull up Psalm 22. But also, I encourage you, close your eyes and just listen to it. And think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. All right, here we go. Messianic here Psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. 
Be you, O Lord, do, be, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth or from the horns of the wild oxen. You've answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations and all the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall, shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. Yeah. How much of that did you wow. see Jesus and the events on the cross? And uh, it's, that, that song, Psalm to me, is one of the most powerful messianic psalms. And what I was going to say earlier is Psalm 22, let me get this right. Psalm 22 is about Jesus as the the suffering servant, the lamb that was slain who mm-hmm. died for us. Psalm 23 is Jesus as our good shepherd. Mm-hmm. And Psalm 24 is, is the conquering king. Lift up your heads, O you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. That's good. 22, 23, and 24 go together. Mm. So when you read those three Psalms, you you should see Jesus yeah. in each and every one of them. And I think, yeah, absolutely. And you get this picture of Christ of feeling and being human. Oh, yeah. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God didn't forsake him, but he felt forsaken. He felt forsaken. And he goes through all these terrible things that are happening to him. He's, he's saying, Lord, I trusted you, but they're dividing my garments. They're, they're, they're coming after me. My, my tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth. These evil people are around me. And then at the end of the song, he switches gears and he says, the Lord heard me. He, he saved me. He delivered me. And he goes on to talk about how all the people are, are going to praise him, how the Lord has delivered him, how, how the, the Lord heard his cry. And I love how he talks about the ends, to the ends of the world, the people are going to worship him, that the Lord's kingdom is here, uh, uh, that they're going to come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born what he has done. So you have the, the, this person, which we know is Jesus, Dying, crying out to God, feeling forsaken, and yet realizes he did hear me. He never forsook me. Mm-hmm. He has not despised me. And I rise from this event to mm-hmm. become a king and one that people worship because he's God. That the nations worship. And they declare his righteousness. Yeah. And he, and he, and, and people bow before him. It takes him from the cross to his ascension, to his exaltation. Even to eternity, to his generation. His reign, his millennial reign. I mean... And you got to let me go there, because you know this is a pet peeve of mine. I, I got to do it. And you already touched on it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I know Jesus said that and quoted that psalm. Isn't that interesting? He mm-hmm. quoted the psalm he did, on the when cross. he was on the cross. And all the preachers and songwriters who have said, and I still hear it today, and it just, you know, just 
take your fingers down a chalkboard. When Jesus was on the cross, God forsook him. God turned his back on his only son. He became, took all the sin of the world and God couldn't look on the sin of the world. And so he turned his back on Jesus. And I'm kind of like, well, when did he turn his back back? When did he turn his face back to the Lord? You yeah. know, it doesn't say, well, none of that is true. Okay. And I'm, I'm adamant about this. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I get passionate. I wish preachers would stop preaching that and they would stop I'm forgiven because he was forsaken. (laughs) He was, yeah, but I'm, you know, that was written. I'm like, no, he wasn't. It's right here in front of you. We just read it. Yep. For God has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. God Mm -hmm. didn't despise or hate and turn his back on Jesus because of the sins of the word on him. No nor has he hidden his face from you cannot ever say that god turned his back on jesus because it says right here he did not hide his face from him but when he cried and that's jesus when jesus cried to him god heard him that's right and i just i'm so sick and tired of that because if god the father forsook the son in his greatest moment of need, what makes me think he won't turn his back on me? That's right. It's horrible theology, Evan. It's negligent to the entire context of the psalm, the point of the psalm, the point of the whole psalms as a book. When the, when this, when the person, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost right now. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I'm feeling the Holy Ghost. When a person went into the temple and took the lamb and laid his hands on the head of the lamb or the high priest laid his hands on that scapegoat or the other goat and they sacrificed it, you didn't, the, 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 the offerer did not turn his back and despise that thing. No, he looked on that thing and said, this is wonderful because he's paying the price mm-hmm. for sin. And God, the father sent his son on this. Do you think God who sent him for God so loved the world that he gave his own? Do you think God who sent his son on his mission would, dis- would forsake him when he's about to complete the very task that he assigned him to? That's right. And he vindicates him. That's yes. the entire point. Go read uh, Psalm 50, verses 4 through 9. The suffering servant is willing to give his beard to be ripped out and his back to be beaten because he knows that his God is with him. Who will bring an accusation against God me? is with him. He yep. knows he will be vindicated. Yeah, and, and so this, whoever came up with this, and it just keeps getting perpetuated, it needs to be crucified, shot. It needs to be forsaken. And forsaken, yes. <laughs> and don't don't you ever believe any preacher, songwriter that says God turned his back on his son. No, he didn't. That that's heresy. And in fact, let, let's take this now a moment. How do we use the Psalms? And and I think I think it seriously means this. Let, let's say you have a Psalm you know is about Christ. How do you pray it as Christian worship? First, it becomes a worship of Christ crucified dying for me, rising again for me, bringing his kingdom for me so that I could be forgiven. I could be in his kingdom. Two, now as a Christian in Christ, Christ tells me multiple times, follow after me, pick up your cross and follow me. Where do I find hope? That though there are times in my life I may cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When the enemies have surrounded me, when temptation and sin, or I'm in a wilderness me. experience, I'm when in you, a wilderness. You can't experience. feel God. Everybody goes through those times in their life. We all make it with Christ to the second half of this psalm that says, "The Lord has heard me," and He flips the script around. In Christ, Christ's victory becomes my victory. Daniel prayed for three weeks and got nothing. 
And yet an angel finally showed up and said, there were things going on that you didn't see, but God heard you the first day. Yep. God never forsake, he didn't forsake Jesus. He doesn't forsake us. And these are the lessons we get out of this. And, and you're right. Just out of that one Psalm, look at all that you could read there. To, to, uh, to Augustine's credit, the story of Christ is the story of the church, is the story of you. you. That's good. Ah, that's a good way to end this episode. This has been, see, I told this y'all. Good. I told y'all. <laughs> Did, did I say it? You said it. I said it. He this called was, it. This is going to be good. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed it. Share it. Like, subscribe, send in questions. Do you just get this podcast out here? This is too good not to share with people. We are talking about the Psalms as Christian lament, but it's not going to be boring or sad. It's going to be fantastic. Join us next time, uh, and we will see you there. <laughs>